Have you ever thought to yourself what it would be like if Kevin McAllister was a miners' union assassin? Find out today. Today. I'm feeling good. You are? Yeah. You gonna bring more energy than last week? I think so. <laughs> more than the lump of coal that you were. <laughs> Listen, man, that fucking that elevator shaft wore me out. It seems that way. <laughs> now. Yes. We might as well uh get the intro started right away, huh? Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bubble Butt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. And guess what, guys? Right off the bat, fuck Jordan. Fuck Cody. We're going to go right to special guest, Phil from the Subliminal Deception Podcast. How are you, brother? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Oh my gosh, I'm so good. (laughs) You are on shit, Mike. Phil, this is a surprise visit. I didn't know you were going to be here. Did you know you were going to be here? I knew. (laughs) I bought the tickets about a month and a half ago. Did you know he was going to be here? Yeah. I thought I told you. Nope. But I never told you (laughs) once. You kept us in the dark. That's right. That's a... I had a dream, though. you walked in the door, and you're like, why is he here? Here's what happened. (laughs) I had a dream last night. I was like, somebody's going to be on the podcast. And then I saw a shiny head through a Jeep Jeep window, and I knew that it was Phil. (laughs) You thought it was Bobby. I did. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. How the fuck is Moby in that mm-hmm. goddamn cheap? We're about to blow up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want Moby's support. Maybe you want Moby's support. Here. I take it. I he's guess. got. He's got a following, right? He just released a book. I seen. What's it called? I Probably know. something to do with veganism. <laughs> Moby eats a plant. When he was talking about his him becoming a recovering alcoholic and drug addict and like sex addict, I was. Kind of surprised that man was having that much sex. Why? He was I not. don't know. I just he I was on know. top of the world for okay. a few years. That's the king of electronic stuff. He did do something that most mu- musicians refuse to do: is say he could play instruments really well. Yeah, but he sucked at singing. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Got to be self-aware. So props to Moby for that. Props Moby. Yeah. And Shout then, out Moby. And then he kept talking about how he wishes the human race was eradicated and stuff. So I was like. Maybe his veganism has went over. I really a like Moby now. Yeah, now yeah it's he's... almost like you're having him on today, then. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the person who's filleting Moby is Cody. How are you, pal? I'm doing good. I've uh, been enjoying my days off. Have, oh, yes, you Four had Memorial's off. Day week yeah. off. That's nice. Were you oh. honoring America? Well, it's not Memorial Day yet. I well, was honoring do myself. It all, do it the whole fucking week. <laughs> Sure. I was honoring myself with, you know what I do, watch shitty movies all week oh, and yeah. uh, work on podcasts. I actually kind of felt like a piece of shit for not like doing that much stuff this week. I don't know. It was weird. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, this you're, is your first, you're good, bud. This is your first vacay since I uh, the accident. I, it is. I, it just feels weird to like sit around <laughs> all day. I don't know. 
Now, inquiring minds want to know. You can cut this if you want. <laughs> Uh, nobody ever found out about why the beginning of your year was so terrible. Now that we're far removed from it, do you want to explain that? Uh, what do you mean? Apparently there was an episode where you were like, the beginning of my year sucks. No, I think we better let that, let that stew a little bit. You're going to let that sit for a little while longer? (laughs) We got to keep the audience suspended. I had some, I had some audience engagement that asked (laughs) me to bring that up, so... Oh, they're gonna have to wait a little longer. Well, there you go. We'll get we'll get there. Get wetter and wetter for yep. for whatever this is. <laughs> uh, also with us, as always, Jordan. Hello. How's it going, buddy? It is going great. I How heard, are you? Uh, I'm good. You know what I heard huh. through the Instagram <laughs> that you are uh, all caked up. I am. How I'm, is it? It is fantastic. I was going to say, his Instagram literally looks like the beginning intro to 40 Days and 40 Nights. You know where they have like the love montage and they're holding hands and shit? With Harrison Ford? Uh, no, what's on Josh Hart in it? Wait, is it might where he be. Where he doesn't have sex for 40 oh, days. Oh yeah, I think that is. Okay. Yeah. What's the Harrison Ford one? I don't know. Seven days and six nights. <laughs> <laughs> in the Caribbean, starting at 30. 30- that's where he's like a drunk pilot right and he crash lands or something yeah, that's him in no, real life <laughs> wait isn't that fool's gold with matthew no, that, <laughs> harrison ford is in that <laughs> well, that is know. a weird ass movie too fool's gold i've only seen the beginning i like how blue the ocean is yeah it's beautiful mm. just like into the blue with paul walker mm. Mm. anyway get back to jordan's love story here. jordan continue yeah i don't know i'm i'm like just all in on her it, it's fun, man. Like level five clinger in? Yes. <laughs> I just sit outside her apartment waiting for her to wake up. It's like, hey, Amy. <laughs> Have you wrote her a druid song yet? Uh, we don't really write love songs, Cody. Just, we're it we're, have we're to a bunch be. of angry boys. Just write a riff it, that yeah. you lick out on your bass <laughs> during <laughs> during the set. So wait, what's gonna happen if you're an angry boy and now you're happy? I mean, do they have to find a new bass guy or what's going on? Well, oh, I don't write the lyrics, so I think uh, we're good. But your presence on stage is gonna change. Oh no, I'll still be an angry boy on stage. <laughs> I hope. I think so. I've talked about it before. Boy, like can't... ten minutes before we go on, I just walk away from everyone and just get myself as angry as possible. Hell yeah. yeah. What gets you angry, Jordan? What gets thinking, you riled Thinking up? ham stops canning beer. Yes. <laughs> but wait, what if not getting laid was the thing that got you the angriest? Oh, oh you might oh. Be We got Dr. Phil in the house oh, breaking boy. him down psychologically. Yikes. <laughs> He's fucked. Amy, you have to hold out before she We'll have to tell her to dump you before you go on. Yeah. <laughs> Take me back right after the set. <laughs> we'll see. Listen, I think that's everybody out of the way. I think so. We're about eight minutes in, which is great. That's actually so, a really quick intro for it's us. It's solid. It's solid. Uh, what's going to happen now, Cody, is you are going to take the story reins back from me. Mm, We're leaving Minnesota. We are. We're staying in America, kind of. But uh, we're diving into Harry Orchard, the Dynamite Man. That's now, what I'm talking about. Yeah. When I seen the Dynamite Man, I instantly thought back to the Anarchist, where you yeah. were, one of you were saying like you want to dynamite someone's ass. Yeah, well, like, they wrote that. They were <laughs> yeah. like, we will dynamite you. Well, this man does dynamite people, so strap in, everyone. Is it a gory dynamite tale? No, no. I was, like, when I made my post on Instagram, I was even debating if we want to call him a serial killer or not. 
but we'll uh, we'll let you guys decide once we get through the story here. All right, I say, who I'm? We're gonna vote. Is we Cody gonna tell this story? <laughs> I say I. 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 Yeah. Right, here we good. go. Elbert E. Horsley was born on March 18, 1866, in Wooler, Ontario, Canada. Oh, he's an Ontario boy. <laughs> Well, his birth name was Albert E. Horsley and would have several other aliases throughout his life. His most infamous name would be Harry Orchard, which is what I will be referring to him throughout Harry the story. Orchard. That's what I call my butt. It is. <laughs> is it girl? Oh, I suppose it's got dingleberries, doesn't it, Jordan? Damn right. <laughs> he was one of eight children, six girls, and two boys. His father was English and his mother was Irish. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> they liked to party. <laughs> oh, God. I already have a great feeling about his upbringing. <laughs> they were your basic poor farming family with a strong religious background. That's all we could ever ask for. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Harry would later claim while, yes, his family was poor, they worked hard enough to always have food readily, readily available and dressed respectable. He's very prudent about dressing respectable. Harry would attend school until third grade, and then shift his priorities into working to help oh, his yeah. parents earn money. <laughs> Damn, son. He shifted his priorities. Okay. What were we doing in third grade? I not, was shitting my pants. Not laying brick, that's for <laughs> yeah. sure. I, I was probably finger painting or something. Yeah. I almost thought you were going to say finger banging. <laughs> <laughs> He would work as a farmhand all the way up until he was 20 years old, and all the money would go straight to his parents. Mm. It seemed like that was a Canadian law. Like, all the money you earned up until 20 years old, you had to give it to your parents. Mm. I don't know why, but... Harry would have to work almost every day of the week throughout his younger years... He would later say his favorite day of the week was Sunday because Ew. he would be able to go to church with his family. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I fuck Sundays, man. They gave his back a break one day a week. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be my favorite day, too. He gets to sit in a pew instead of he, slaving away on the field. The weird thing is he says he loves God. I, I don't know. Good for him, man. Him and Case Keenum. <laughs> Listen, we all need a little God in our lives. <laughs> when he reached the age of 22... Harry decided to spread his wings and try another career choice, which meant moving to Saginaw, Michigan. I'm pretty sure Saginaw. I, think I didn't. Saginaw, right? Saginaw. Saginaw. I've always heard Saginaw. Is it? Well, All right. Saginaw. I only know tomato, that tomato. because Saginaw is supposedly one of the most like haunted cities in America. That's Ew. Savannah, Georgia. No, 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 no. They like this was like severe Native American massacre on this area. Oh, like, back in so the day. It, so, so it's yeah. a curse by yeah. Eight Mile. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't think know. <laughs> I think it's more north. Yeah. <laughs> now, at this time, Saginaw was one of America's leading lumber locations, so Harry would work as a logger for one season before returning to Ontario. Mm. He soon fell in love and married a woman, of which we do not know her name, but mm. we do know she was an employee at a cheese factory. Listen, mm. I would put a ring on that <laughs> he all got the day. Hookup. You got it. Maybe bring home some blue tonight. <laughs> Is that a romance cheese? I don't know. I just, I just really like blue cheese. It's how okay. he, so he warms up Amy with some stinky blue cheese. <laughs> Listen, that woman does love cheese. Awesome. And it's fantastic. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. 
In Harry's self-wrote autobiography, he would go into extreme detail about all the inner workings of the cheese factory and the cheese business in general, but we would fill an entire podcast just trying to go through everything he was talking about in regards to cheese. I wish I, I was that kidding. should be next week's episode. I wish I was kidding. It was like two chapters of cheese. I, I, you don't need to know that much about fucking cheese. You don't know my life. <laughs> Hold up, boys. Soon his wife would give birth to a daughter, which caused her to not be able to continue her career with the cheese factory. This, in turn, caused a problem for Harry, and and that was because he, quote, Lived way beyond my means and was in some debt, and my credit was not so good. <laughs> Around the same time, he fell in love with another woman. Wow. Baller. So, <laughs> he did it for the cheese. Yep. <laughs> So he decided to steal five to six hundred dollars worth of cheese and sell it. Oh, I feel like that's a lot of cheese. He's flipping cheese, right? Like, <laughs> black market cheese. Oh my god! Trapping cheese. Back then, that's like a train car full of cheese. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best gorgonzola in Canada. Okay. Listen, this is actual mozzarella de buffalo. <laughs> then decided to burn down the cheese factory, collect the insurance money clear his debts, abandon his wife and daughter, then his newly found lover and him would move to Pilot Bay, British Columbia, but sadly after three months, they would split up as well. No. <sighs> the passion. So, all this worked out for him. Yeah. He he made all the abandoned, I guess. Man, That's what smart. a beast. He was the only game in town then. Burned down the cheese factory. I love, I love this guy. <laughs> and that began the great cheese shortage of the late 1800s. <laughs> if it melts, is it just like a giant bowl Ooh, of Velveeta in a microwave? It's city nachos. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Harry then would move to Spokane, Washington, where he found an employment card for a milk car driver with uh, within the Coeur d'Alene area in Idaho. Now, the Coeur d'Alene area at the time was one of the busiest lead and silver mining districts in the United States. The mining towns within this area included Kellogg, Mulan, Wallace, Burke, Jem, and Wardner. While working as a milk delivery man, he soon learned this mining area was Union Country, mm. meaning the Western Federation of Miners. It is common knowledge that anyone who would not join the Union was soon run down the canyon. <laughs> Which meant not only deportation from the area, but usually resulted in a beating and occasional death. Yeah, Damn. well, that's what those scabs get. That's exactly. <laughs> Don't disobey the labor union, boys. Naturally, Harry was a union man as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Meat. <laughs> it was the way to make money within these parts. Mm. Eventually, Harry saved up enough money from his milk deliveries to purchase a 116th claim at a new mine in Burke called the Hercules. It costed $500, and he put down a down payment of $200. <laughs> he also went into the coal and wood businesses on his own. Wow. This guy's an entrepreneur. He, he's actually pretty good that he's a bootstraps guy, yeah. He actually did extremely well for himself. So much so, he eventually ban began to spend all of his money on hard liquor and began to gamble way more money than he actually had. <laughs> the, mi the mining town was filled with tin horns, and when Harry's debt accumulated too high, he was forced to sell his stake in the Hercules mine. His 116th claim. Do you know what a, a tin horn is? Uh, it's Isn't that because of the things the Union Cavalry wore? Or is no. that not true? No, what it t apparently what a tin horn is, is they're people who pretend like they're really rich, 
but they're poor and they're like shiesty card game guys. This is the description from the dictionary. Wow. Tin horn gamblers tend to make up for the poor quality of their gaming equipment by dressy, by a dressy appearance and showy demeanor. Mm. So they're Jordans mm. of the gambling I was just going to say, that sounds exactly <laughs> like me. What's a charlatan? Is that close to that? Uh, that's just like a huckster. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit. It'd be close. Let's just yeah. keep making up words for shiesty people. <laughs> Why not, man? He then got a job as a mucker at the Tiger Poor Man Mine in Burke, which employed 400 union miners. But trouble was beginning to brew within the union, so much so that the union head, Ed Boyce, told his workers to purchase firearms and learn how to use them. He said, The operators are going to bring in thousands of scabs, and we must prevent it. Or at least, drive out the scabs. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Things came to a head on April 29, 1899, when the Burke Local Union called a special meeting around 7 p.m. They reported that the Bunker Hill and Sullivan Mine in Wardner, who were striking, had resumed work filled with a crew of scabs, and they needed to take direct action. Mm. Grab your hammers, boys. (laughs) That's right. Oh, they got guns, Phil. Oh, okay. They're ready to go. Oh, They have hammer guns. (laughs) (laughs) What if they're just full of pickaxes, probably? Shit, man. Blunderbusts. I I forgot to say, do you know what a mucker is? It's probably someone who just has to, like, dig through the mud. Uh, Apparently, it's someone who just loads the shitty rocks onto a train car. That sounds (laughs) fucking terrible. (laughs) Worst job. Ugh. Ugh. After the meeting ended, a gang of masked men armed with rifles and revolvers held up the Northern Pacific passenger train. They informed them they were going to attach a string of boxcars... After that was done, 400 men fully armed, then loaded onto the train and headed for Wardner. 400 men. 400 men. That's a fucking war party right there. <laughs> it's like the minor the... Dothraki. <laughs> God damn. Gotta get rid of the fucking scabs, man. That's rad. They would make a stop at the Frisco Magazine mine near Gem. Many of the men would break into the big powder house and load 80 boxes of dynamite onto the train. And of course... Even more armed men loaded onto the train as this well. Is, this is highly organized. This is like, the greatest shit of all time. I love it. <laughs> they would make another stop in the mining town of Wallace and an additional 500 to 600 <laughs> more armed miners loaded onto the train, wanting to head to the Bunker Hill and Sullivan Mine. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> But before the train would move any further, the conductor informed them that the rails taking them to Wardner belonged to their competition, the Oregon Railway and Nanea Navigation Company. The mob leader then told them, Hell, what difference does that make? <laughs> Apparently a train full of armed miners was enough to convince the conductor to continue on yeah. his path. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 1,200 men were shouting and singing on the train while en route to take out those scabs. Harry later said this about the scene. It all seemed like a gigantic picnic (laughs) or a 4th of July celebration. I doubt if any of us that day thought we was breaking a law by stealing a train and forcing its crew to run us where we wanted to go. And regardless of other trains, I had a loaded revolver in my pocket, like hundreds of others. But I never thought for a moment that we were doing anything except a proper and natural thing. (laughs) Everybody was joking. It really just seemed like a big picnic. 
a clam bake and barbecue. <laughs> Very optimistic lookout oh, on uh, what's about to happen here. We stole a whole train, loaded up an army. <laughs> this is the best days of your life for happening we right do, now. <laughs> we didn't do nothing wrong. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> When the train finally arrived in Wardner, ten men with, quote, long guns would proceed first in hopes to draw any fire from the mine guards so the rest of the mob could flank them from the other side. Of course, this mob was filled with half-wits and overly hyped-up men, so when they spotted men in the distance with rifles, they immediately opened fire. (laughs) Of course, they didn't realize they were shooting their own men in the advancing party. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) They ended up killing one and injuring several others. The original mine guards had fled long ago. Like when they heard about it, or what? Uh, they must have heard about it somehow, Sir. so they got the hell out of there before the fucking mob <laughs> showed up. <laughs> Either way, they were seeking volunteers to set the dynamite within the mine. Our boy Harry stepped right up to perform the task. Harry and a few other volunteers would set the 80 cases of dynamite within the main mining building, making sure to set the charges correctly so... It would do the most good. (laughs) (laughs) They then lit the fuses and the big building exploded that caused the earth to shake for miles. Dude, that's a lot of fucking dynamite. It's a big, big blast. (laughs) The rest of the men then broke into the boarding house and superintendent's home and doused it in kerosene, Mm. then set everything on fire. Mm. There must have been one stray employee in one of these buildings who tried to flee and was shot and killed. Now that the town of Warner was set ablaze, the men reloaded onto the train and headed back to their respected, respective mining towns. Well, that was fun, guys. <laughs> Wife, that, wife's making pot roast at home, so I gotta get out of here. You know, I, I can invite three of you. It's not a big roast. <laughs> Harry then just returned to his mining town job at the Tiger Poor Man Mine. Harry then thought, it occurred to me, after the affair was over, that you can't steal railroad trains, <laughs> dynamite mines, and burn villages without some reaction. And he was not <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the governor of Idaho, Frank Stunenberg, declared Shoshone County was in the hands of outlaws and called on President McKinney to send aid of federal troops. Mm. The troops would arrive and were under the command of H.C. Miriam, He even had a regiment of black soldiers who would act as guards of the bullpens. They would set up concentration camps made of old stables, warehouses, boxcars, and even open stockades to load all the miners by the hundreds. Even though Harry had a third grade education, he was smart. Hmm. He quickly quit his mining job with several other men, making sure not to ask for his lost wages <laughs> and headed into the mountains nearby. <laughs> Just let the money go sometimes. Yeah. It's not worth yeah. it. Cut and run. <laughs> they kept moving until they were in Thompson's Falls, Montana, nearly 25 miles away. For the next two years, he would travel all over the far west, working in mining camps in Montana, Oregon, California, and Utah, Then in 1902, he would settle down for a time in the Cripple Creek District of Colorado, where he got a job at the Vindicator Mine and married once more. God, I hope that one makes it like six months. (laughs) He loves mining. uh, Mm. His best job available, I guess. He's good at it, I guess, yeah. (laughs) Here in Cripple Creek, Harry joined the Free Coinage Miners Union, a local of the Western Federation at Altman, but, but much like Idaho, the miners' owners associate... The Mine Owners Association was attempting to break up all of the unions. One year later, in 1903, the mines were shut down by a general strike, 
Then riot broke out with them attempting to bring in more scabs. The National Guard troops were once again sent in to, quote, restore and keep order, which to the Union meant protection of the scabs and strike breakers. Because of all of this chaos, one of the richest mines in the region, the Vindicator, would be closed. Mm. But Harry and a few other cronies got the brilliant idea to sneak back into the now-closed mine and do a bit of high-grading. <laughs> what What is high-grading? <laughs> high-grading is when you steal the richest gold-bearing metals within the mine and then sell your take to the gold buyers, which most of the gold buyers were actually just fencing stolen property. More okay. Or less, so. so you're doing a little independent mining then. Basically, yeah. Oh, yeah. You think if there was gold in there, they'd be like, trying to keep an eye on it but barely yeah. no people i guess it's just by the wagon full there <laughs> so they just grab a few rocks and head out of there once while harry was doing a bit of high grading he took notice of a considerable amount of dynamite within the mine so he decided to inform the president of the union about what he had found so the president of the union offered harry 200 dollars to blow up the stash of dynamite Harry was not a man to turn down money so he told him sure I'll do that. Jeez. <laughs> Harry mentioned his first attempt to blow it up failed because of being surprised by a guard. His second attempt would prove to be more successful. On the seventh floor of the Vindicator mine, he made a target of sorts out of giant caps or detonators right in front of the powder deposit. He then set up a revolver in a vice pointed directly at the cap. Mm. <laughs> he cocked the gun and wired a trigger to a guardrail at the lift entrance on that level. Whoever got out of the cage on the seventh floor would trip the wire, causing the gun to fire and setting off the explosives. Holy shit. <laughs> He's fucking badass. He's a Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine. He's really home alone in this. Yeah. <laughs> you think Harry and what's the other one's name? From Home Alone, Harry and what's the other criminal's name? Mo. Sally. <laughs> Is it Mo? It's something with an M, I think. No, who cares? Yeah. Well, it worked like a charm. The following day, the mine superintendent and shift boss got off the lift, setting off the trap. They were splattered all over the walls of oh, the mine. Jesus Christ. <laughs> with his mission successful, Harry traveled to Denver to meet with Charles H. Moyer and William D. Haywood, a.k.a. Big Bill, which were the president and general secretary of the Western Federation of Miners. They gushed about Harry's successful trap, and Big Bill said... Fine work. Stay here in Denver a few days and enjoy yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bill hand, <laughs> Big Bill handed him two hundred dollars and told him to not make a show of the money. <laughs> Big Bill told Harry after he had had his fun to then go back to the mines and tear something loose. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the Rocky Mountains Dynamite Man had been born. Ooh. Harry did, in fact, return to the mine and said, I got some roofing pitch and melted it. I took a dozen <laughs> sticks of giant powder and tied them up in burlap, winding them tightly with twine. I put this bundle into a bucket and ran the warm pitch around it. When it had cooled, I hacked it up a bit so it looked like a chunk of coal. I then made a black powder fuse and filled it full of caps, bored a hole into the chuck, then put in the fuse and sealed it and sealed it over so it would not be noticed. I made a couple of these jobs, and got an old Union man named Dempsey to throw one of them into the coal bunkers of the Vindicator Mine. This obviously laid waste to the mine bunkers. <laughs> Jesus. You know, you gotta appreciate this guy. When he has a job, he has a fucking job. <laughs> yeah. Like, he does it. He's artistic as hell, too. <laughs> he doesn't half-ass anything. He whole-asses it. <laughs> 
After this latest bombing, Harry went on a bit of a lull. In fact, he actually approached the detective thinking of confessing to his crimes, but changed his mind at the last minute. The miner strike was in full effect around this time in Colorado, and several union miners were being arrested for several charges, which included derailing trains. So the bosses had a new, less violent job for Harry, and that was to create homemade alibis for the union men who had been arrested. Fuck yes. (laughs) Harry would soon meet another important character that would take his explosive knowledge to another level. This man's name is George Pettibone, the owner of a small store in Denver. Now, back in 1892, George was a striking miner within the Idaho region. He stole 200 pounds of dynamite, backed it to the top of a hill, backing the Helena Fresco smelter, mounted it on a float, and sent it down the fume that led into the building. Hell yes. (laughs) That's the best flume ride of all time, (laughs) right? right? It reminds me of, like, fucking, I don't know, Donkey Kong in the mines for some reason. Yes, I'm hearing the Donkey Kong (laughs) mine music right now. One witness said, The whole smelter went up like an umbrella. (laughs) George would serve eight years in prison and was blacklisted by the Mine Owners Association, obviously. Yeah. But was still being paid as a union man for the Western Federation of Miners. Listen, yeah. man, you do the dirty work, you better yeah. get fucking paid. I, I would pay him forever. Yep. <laughs> 200 pounds. Jesus, that's so much. Now, George told Harry how to create a very effective bomb he called Greek fire. <laughs> which was composed of sticks of phosphorus, bisulfide of carbon, benzene, alcohol, and turpentide. Here. No tzatziki sauce? <laughs> I don't think so. Are we allowed to say this? What? I don't know, like the the mixture of bombs on You on can the go podcast. on the internet and find this okay. shit anywhere. Harry said this thing was very effective. The second the bottle broke, it would set everything within his path, path ablaze. He was preparing to unleash it within the Vindicator mine, but Big Bill told him to not proceed in fear that the chemicals could be traced. Mm. Big Bill's kind of clever. Mm. Didn't want to unleash the wildfire just nope. yet. <laughs> Big Bill was far from finished with, with what he called tearing loose, but this particular explosion was just too risky. Mm-hmm. Harry still needed to continue to set off explosives to send a message, but needed to be smart about it. Then the president of the Western Federation, Charles H. Moyer, was arrested and detained for reasons we aren't exactly sure. Either way, Harry and other union men believe that the governor of Colorado, James H. Peabody, was responsible (laughs) and needed to be eradicated. Mm. (laughs) We gotta blow this dude up. By the way, this whole event that's going on, they refer to as the Colorado uh, Minor Wars. So, it's like a big historical event. He's like right in the center of the whole thing. Right. Apparently, many high-ranking union officials actually encouraged this assassination. So, Harry took his revolver and waited for the perfect opportunity to take out the governor near his home. Harry said he waited several nights, but as he would later state... Women, children, and even dogs kept getting in his way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He he said them damn dogs kept blocking his shots. (laughs) But there was another person who needed to be assassinated in the meantime Mm -hmm. named Lyle Lyle Gregory. Mm -hmm. Gregory was a mine detective who was extremely hated by union miners, and when he showed up in Denver, why not take him out? So George Pettibone told Harry to... 
perform a mutilating operation on him. <laughs> Jesus. So Harry and another man named Steve Adams tail Lyle Gregory around Denver, but could never seem to find an opportunity to mutilate him. So instead, when Gregory was exiting a saloon, Harry ran up, shot him, killing the man. Harry then swiftly fled the seat. That's a that's an escalation. Yeah, that's pretty open and bold. Oh, we're just getting started with Mister Harry here. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Big Bill was satisfied with Harry's killing of Lyle, Gregory, but still felt that... Something ought to be blown up. (laughs) (laughs) This dude just likes explosions. (laughs) The men within the miners' union were wavering and thought that a nice explosion would revitalize the striking men. God. (laughs) Just because it turns you on, Bill, doesn't mean it turns everybody on. Oh, (laughs) shit. Give the boys a little fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) Big Bill suggested that Harry blow up the railroad station in Independence, Colorado. He explained that the strike breakers would get off their shifts at 2.30 a.m. and would congregate at the railroad station while waiting for the train to arrive. So Harry agreed, and he later said this. You know what? Before I read that, that's fucked up. He's trying to blow it up with all the dudes on it. It was like, I would get it if he was trying to do it when... uh, Nobody was there? Yeah. Yeah, he... Nah, he likes this blood. Is, yeah, this is bad. All right, here I am. I'm getting into character. I went to Cripple Creek that afternoon with a couple of smaller bottles of acid and some other rigging. I broke into a powder magazine and took two 50-pound boxes of dynamite and hid them within easy distance from the Independence Railroad Depot. Late that night, I prepared a bomb under the station platform. The mechanism was a simple job. It consisted of the powder, some caps, a bottle of acid, and a little windlass. <laughs> which when turned would pull the cork for the bottle and permit the acid to run out. This would explode the charge, but setting the bomb in place took some work. I had to crawl a long way on my belly under the platform. It was dark and cold. Hooking up the windlass to the cork was a ticklish job, but I managed it. Then I attached one end of a long wire to the windlass and backed out from under the platform with the other end. I ran this wire into the bushes and up to an abandoned ore house on a siding. Then I sat down to wait. Through the dark, I could hear the strike-breaking miners, quite a crowd of them coming out of the mine and going up to the depot. The train was on time. I heard her whistle for the station at 2.35 a.m., and a moment later, she hove in. (laughs) Just then, I pulled on the wire. A second later, the charge went off with a tremendous roar. (laughs) Within an instant, 26 men were killed, and many others were maimed, some for the rest of their lives. After Harry's successful mission... He decided to take a much-needed vacation. So with the money he had earned, he headed to Wyoming to do a little hunting and fishing. Yeah, man. He's got to <laughs> unwind after that one. That's how you get the... Uh, All the PTSD out of your head. Yeah, so you get like the that. screams of men out of your brain. <laughs> then returned to Denver a few weeks later, and Big Bill had another job for him. God. <laughs> this time, they wanted him to take out Fred Bradley, who was an official for the Mine, Mine Owners Association. Big Bill told Harry, They won't be satisfied until the Union is driven out of every camp in the West. (laughs) Big Bill had already sent two men in an attempt to murder Bradley, but they had failed. Harry agreed and George Pettibone gave him $200 and a bag filled with tools he would need for his mission. Harry then left Denver heading for the Pacific Coast. Mm. When he reached San Francisco, he would use his new alias, John Dempsey, and then he soon learned that Fred Bradley was on vacation in Alaska and wouldn't return for several weeks. 
So here he decided, hell, why not take his own vacation while he waited? That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) He headed for Caliente Springs, where he got set up in a Hot Springs, I believe that translates to. (laughs) Yes. You speak Spanish? I do, a little bit. Uh, 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 Mi gusto, little, little Spanish. Where he got set up in a very nice resort and enjoyed some drinking and gambling to pass the time. After his short vacation, Harry would return to San Francisco and begin to study the Bradley family's daily routine. Initially, he believed that setting up a bomb simply was not feasible, so he decided to try something else. He said, The desperate and horrible means I conceived to carry out my plan, I would gladly let die in my breast. (laughs) He woke up at 2 a.m. and noticed that the local milkman would leave a bottle on Bradley's front doorstep. So Harry removed the cap and poured a healthy dose of strychnine into the milk. (laughs) All right. The following morning, he watches the Bradley family ate breakfast, but nothing seemed to happen, which left Harry puzzled, but soon learned what had happened. The Bradley's cook had actually returned the milk to the local grocery because he said it had an awfully bitter taste. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So he sampled a bit. Yeah. "Mm Mm-mm. I guess not enough to kill him. I guess. So Harry figured he would give Old Faithful another try. Fuck yeah. And he had to make sure Fred Bradley would be the only one to set the bomb off. Late one night, he placed a small screw eye into the inside door of the double doors that (laughs) led from the apartment building to the street. Okay. That's a mouthful. I gotcha. Okay. You know what a screw eye is? I think it's, you can look through it? No, it's like the, it's the screws that look like a candy cane. Why would he do that? You're going to learn. Okay. It's like a, a mounting screw, kind of. Like oh. it's a screw, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. it has a hook. Yeah, gotcha. It's, it's a, so he can attach a wire to it. The following day, he called Bradley, acting like he was a mine owner interested in selling his property, and would meet him at his home around 9, 9 a.m. the following day. So around the designated time, Harry watched as Bradley was consuming his second coffee of the morning. Harry placed the bomb in his coat, ran over to the front doors of the Bradley residence, he then attached the bomb with a string to the screw eye he had placed a, f- a few days prior and returned to his vantage point to witness the trap he had set. Within five minutes, Bradley would make his way to the front door, and when he opened it, the bomb exploded, causing it to blow away the entire front of the building. Jesus. All three stories of it, but... <laughs> so it just looked like somebody shaved off the front Basically. half. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> But Bradley somehow would survive. What? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. He was in the hospital for several months and lost some of his hearing and eyesight, but he was still alive. Holy shit, That's a lucky son of a bitch. It's like those dudes that dive on grenades and then somehow don't get hurt. (laughs) Does that actually happen? I I don't know. I've seen it on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Happened on TV. Have to be real. (laughs) After the bomb went off, Harry was staying at a rooming house and decided he needed to take a nap. All of a sudden, he was awoken by loud pounding at his door. Harry said, What do you want? Come out of there. Harry remembers thinking, I was sure it was police, and as I started to dress, I wondered how they traced me so quickly. Or how they had traced me at all, for that matter. (laughs) But it was not the police. It was actually a new landlord who was kicking out the old landlady and her rumors because she did not make her payments. Damn, the landlord's <laughs> landlord. Yeah. Who watches the like, watchman? How, I was like, how does that even happen? I don't, I don't know. That's what crazy. Soon George Pettibone convinced Harry to return to Denver. 
They had another job for him, and this was a very high-profile job. So Harry made his way back to Denver and met with his regular cohorts. Big Bill this time wanted to assassinate the governor, James Peabody. He had actually already sent out another assassin to kill him, but wasn't having much success. Big Bill said his would-be assassin seemed to have gotten married. (laughs) Big Bill told Harry... They don't seem to work so good after they get hitched. (laughs) They got something to (laughs) live for now. That'll that'll take out an assassin pretty quick. Definitely. Harry's initial plan was to set up a contact bomb on the street the governor was sure to be walking on, but he always was surrounded by bodyguards, and every time he tried to set up a bomb, he could never seem to get it in the right place or have the timing right, but... That was okay, because they had another man they wanted him to kill in the meantime. Nice. A little backup. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's a side quest. He's yeah, just man. got jobs falling <laughs> yeah. from the sky. You know? Dude. It's like that wanted board on Red Dead. Names just oh. keep popping up on God. there. <laughs> I want to go home and play Red Dead now. This was another high-priority target named Judge Luther M. Goddard, who was a Supreme Court Justice for the state of Colorado. Harry actually got fairly creative with this bomb. I think he comes to that. I think <laughs> yeah. he comes to the idea of his of little like Rube a, Goldberg a, bombs. It could be. I think he shows a stick be. of dynamite up his ass. <laughs> it's pretty fucking... He, he, I think he gets off watching his shit he, work. Mm. I, th- I think he, he believes he's actually doing something for the betterment of the Union men. Sure. I, do, I don't know if he's actually enjoying this, but I think in his head he's a mission killer who thinks he's doing the right thing. He's a third grade educated idiot. <laughs> Since there was plenty of snow in Denver around this time, his plan was to place the bomb within a lady's purse and place it inconspic- inconspicuously in the snow. And of course, the curious judge would pick it up, setting off the bomb. Smart. <laughs> so like usual, Harry would study the judge's movements to find the perfect spot to place the purse. Luckily, the judge was a man of routine, so one morning when Harry noticed the judge beginning to leave his home, he knew where he would be walking. So, he set the purse in a lot the judge would be passing through. Now, right before the judge reached the lot, he was hailed by one of his acquaintances. Hey, judge, check out the Drood album. (laughs) Harry watched from a distance as the two men chatted for a bit and by some stroke of luck decided to walk in the opposite direction around the block from where the bomb was placed. Fucking hell. <laughs> Could have been a new break. Could like have a, been a new whorehouse opening up. Exactly. This kind of reminds me of um like uh, is it Roadrunner who always just seems to be walking around the traps. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Finds like another hidden yeah. path. <laughs> But just three minutes after the judge walked away, a man named Merritt W. Wally, Wally, one of the two, had walked into the lot and found the purse and picked it up, setting off a large explosion. You idiot. (laughs) Merritt. Leave purses alone. Merritt, you idiot. The Rocky Mountain News said this later about how big the blast was. The explosion also shattered several large windows in the neighborhood. I don't don't know how much... Dynamite was in this thing, but it must have been pretty. Big. I'm gonna guess enough to kill a man. He was I probably he so. probably didn't want to leave anything to chance <laughs> like last time. Yeah. No. After the accidental murder of Merritt W. Wally, Harry figured he better give himself another alias known as Thomas S. Hogan mm. and laid low for a while. So Harry now got the brilliant idea to begin selling insurance to Midwestern farmers. He sold insurance for fire, hail, and cyclone. <laughs> Although he later said this wasn't 
exactly the most exciting job. I can't imagine that's filled <laughs> with I, a lot of. I haven't killed anyone in three months. Mm-hmm. Oh. I know. I figured it would just be a thrill factory. <laughs> yeah, selling insurance to farmers. Yeah. Once the heat settled in August 1905, Harry returned to Denver and began to confer with Big Bill and George Pettibone once again. Big Bill told him that ex, the ex-governor of Idaho, Frank, Stun, Frank Stunenberg, should be taken out. Remember, Why? He's not even in office. We're What's... gonna find out. Okay. Remember that Frank was the one who had called the federal troops when the miners first began to riot. Okay, we found out right away. You gotta pay you know. for past sins. <laughs> Big... Let that go. <laughs> Big Bill ain't letting nothing go. Mm-mm. Big Bill told Harry that if he does in fact pull off this murder, he will make sure to send anonymous letters about the death of Frank Stenenberg <laughs> to Governor Peabody of Colorado, Sherman Bell, and others who are attempting to crush the Union. The only thing those men understand is violence, and that is what they're going to get. Yes! Fuck yeah. Yes! I, I feel like Big Bill, that's all he understands is fucking violence. Big Bill's the fucking man! From the sound of it, he should maybe set off a couple bombs himself. Might get a little of that, you know, stress yeah. out. Whoa. Empty his balls out a little. He's got yeah. the largest collection of black cats in America. <laughs> So on August 25th, 1905, Harry picked up his new bag of assassin supplies from Pettibone and headed to Caldwell, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Caldwell was where the ex-governor was now living, and Harry registered at the Saratoga Hotel, making sure to inform everybody he was here on sheep business. Mm. (laughs) Just here on sheep business, guys. I I mean, I usually am when I I end up at the Saratoga. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine him just walking through the hotel bar, like walking up to random strangers. I'm on sheep business. I'm on sheep business. No, don't worry about me. Inconspicuous Just as hell. on sheep business. Man. All sheep from, from top to down. That's important because ex-governor was now a sheep rancher. Shit, man. He's planting seeds. He's like, oh, there's a boy here on sheep business, Mr. Governor. Harry soon learned that Frank was actually staying at a hotel in Boise, Idaho around this time. So, of course, Harry headed for Boise and got a room at the same hotel. After once again learning the patterns of Frank, Harry was planning on making a bomb to place under his bed. His plan was to make a bomb out of an alarm clock timer, but after testing the bomb underneath his own bed, he decided that the ticking was just too loud. Certainly. While trying to figure out a new method for killing Frank, the ex-governor had actually left town and it would be three weeks before he would return to Caldwell. Harry, being a man that seemed to like to take many vacations in between assassinations, took a trip to Portland, Oregon to see the Lewis and Clark Exposition. Nice. He then visited the Puget Sound in Washington. Beautiful. <laughs> but knew it was time to complete the task. He said, I always dreaded to do these murders and usually put them off as long as I could. <laughs> or rather, as long as I had money. <laughs> man, he went, he went to some nice spots, though. <laughs> Certainly road tripping. Now, back in Caldwell, he decided that bombing Frank at his home was the best bet. Mm. He took a few days to study the family's movements. He always seemed to make conscientious decisions not to kit, not to harm the wife or children. His method was one that he had used several times before, basically setting up a tripwire that, once pulled, would dump the acid onto the 10 pounds of dynamite. Mm-hmm. He set up the trap on a path outside Frank's residence. 30 minutes later, he watched as the governor made his way back home. Harry waited patiently, but nothing ever happened. 
It was later determined that the ex-governor had managed to step over the tripwire without even realizing it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. Harry then left town for two weeks, then returned on December 30th. Harry was just playing a friendly game of cards at the Saratoga Hotel when Frank walked in. He knew he only had a short period before Frank would return home once again. Harry said... I went up to my room and took the bomb out of my valise. I wrapped it in a newspaper, put it under my arm, and went downstairs. Mr. Stunenberg was still in the lobby. I went outside and hurried as fast as I could to his residence and laid the bomb down close to his gatepost. I then tied a cord to a screw eye out of the cork and ran it around a picket of the gate. I had it fixed so that when the gate was open, it would jerk the cord from the bottle and let the acid run out and set off the bomb. I fixed it so that even if he did not open the gate wide enough to pull the cork, he would still strike the cord with his feet, and this would do the job as well. I brushed some snow over the bomb and hurried back to the hotel. God, he's he's thorough. He's very thorough. Does he ever just feel like shooting him? Just no, <laughs> honestly, he, he did, did that, that once, once, right? Yeah. yeah. He it, said, it probably just didn't give him the boner he always wants. Big Bill always wants something blown up. So he oh, calls him Big yeah. Bill. He Big wants Bill's something blown a bomb, up. Bombman. <laughs> And so the ex-governor was blown to bits. Woohoo! The explosion, Maybe. <laughs> the explosion was so loud it could be hear, heard from miles away and had blown all the front windows out of the Stunenberg's house out. Here he then quickly made his way back to the hotel. He said this happened next. I was going to take some things out of my room and throw them away. <laughs> there were some bits of dynamite, some pieces of fuse, several giant caps, and a bottle or two of acid. <laughs> I emptied the acid into the sink and put the bottles into my side pocket planning to take it downstairs and throw it away. It wasn't two seconds after I put that bottle in my pocket when a flash like a pistol ran out in the room, and the coat was nearly all torn off my back. <laughs> after accidentally detonating his explosives and blowing his coat off, he said, I immediately understood what had taken place, and it almost unnerved me for a moment. <laughs> God. He's like the coyote, just standing there with a cinder, just smoking. God. His fucking He's bob. Like, that was exciting. He put his uh, batteries in his pocket with his keys and invented. <laughs> Somehow, nobody else seemed to have heard this explosion or at least didn't bring it up. Mm. Harry just went downstairs and had a good solid supper. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry remembered thinking... Something, I cannot tell you what came across me. I got to thinking of the many incriminating things in my room. Besides the fuse and caps, I realized that I had some sugar and more chloride of potash in my things. I also had an amount of plaster of Paris, a batch of screw eyes, and an electric flashlight. I knew all these things would be hard to explain to found, but still, I sat there and didn't do anything about them. After that cap went off in my pocket, I seemed to lose my reasoning power. I simply left everything where it was. I guess someone's blowing yourself up might let you, may make me like, all right, might fuck this shit. for a minute. <laughs> a new lease on life, maybe. I love it how shortly after, like, a huge bomb goes off in the city and the governor gets blown up, they're serving dinner at the hotel. Just <laughs> yeah. a few blocks away. Just, oh, yeah, did you hear about loud bang? Here the governor died. Man. Hey, at the Saratoga, we don't miss meals. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It's a fine dining establishment. <laughs> Instead of hopping on the next train leaving Caldwell, he decided to stay another night. The following morning, Harry approached a group of locals discussing the bombing from last night. For some reason, Harry just blurts out that he is looking for someone he can purchase weathers from. Weathers meaning sheep. Oh. This, arou this arose suspicion and Harry was taken in for questioning. 
When you just run up to yeah. random people on the street. You know where I can buy some sheep? <laughs> That's fucked. <laughs> That's, that'd be so funny. Just walk up to strangers. You know where I can get some sheep from? Yeah. You're going to jail. We're, we need to talk to you. <laughs> the police were asking him what his business in Caldwell was, and Harry was so logical with his responses, the police actually released him and even apologized to him. <laughs> And that same day, the high sheriff of Baker, Oregon, who just happened to be in town, spotted Harry and said, I know that feller. He isn't T.S. Hogan. <laughs> he is Harry Orchard, who used to be active in the Miners Union. <laughs> it's all coming down. Yeah. It's it, all coming down around his ankles now, boys. Harry was promptly arrested and denied having anything to do with the bombing. Nice try. <laughs> Your dick was hard when we showed you a piece of dynamite. <laughs> but because he had left all his explosive gear in his hotel room, the police soon found it, and the news of the assassination got the attention of a very important detective. The detective strolled into Caldwell wearing his gold-rimmed glasses, enormous mustache, and cutaway coat. His name was James McParlin, head of the Denver office of Pinkerton National Detective Agency. God damn Pinkerton! <laughs> Kill that fucking Pinkerton! If he's a Pinkerton, you know that mustache is uh, issued. Oh, you? sir. Not grown. Issued. Oh, sir. In the gold-rimmed glasses, like, you have to complete the look. That's it. I'm playing Red Dead. Jordan, I, I kind of feel like you could have made a Pinkerton. You could have been a good Pinkerton, probably. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. Except for the detective part. Yeah. Sorry, Amy, I'm growing just my got mustache. The mustache. <laughs> Be a Pinkerton-like uh, you think, model. <laughs> you think people get arrested for stealing a Pinkerton's mustache? I think so. Is that government-issued? That's, that's a hangable. Listen, I think you need a permit to look at it. It's a hangable offense. <laughs> Nobody is sure how McParland was allowed access to Harry in his jail cell, but Harry said... I was afraid to die unless I unburdened my conscience. No, that's nice of you. Mm -hmm. And so Harry started confessing to everything he had done. Soon they would arrest and extradite Mr. Moyer, Big Bill, and George Pettibone to Idaho. This trial was a tricky one because most people were either on the pro-union side or the anti-union side. Even President Theodore Roosevelt had written a private letter about the situation that eventually became public, referring to the accused as, quote, undesirable citizens. Mm. This caused quite an outrage throughout the country and trial. C.A. Ken Burns. Oh, does he mention this? He talks about this part, in fact, like in detail on that uh, the Roosevelt's documentary, which I'm watching right now. So I sure it mentions this. The Union miners began wearing buttons that said, "I am an undesirable citizen." Certainly, the unions around the country set up protests and meetings and managed to collect several large donations to pay for the defense's counsel. The trial began on May 9th, 1907. The defense was attempting to discredit all of Harry's confessions. The la the lawyers later claimed that Harry was. The most monumental liar that ever existed. <laughs> oh, goddamn! Roasted him there. <laughs> the defense continuously tried to attack Harry Orchard's character in an attempt to make him seem like a liar. <laughs> they, like, I'm not joking. They really leaned on the like, he's a bigamist. You can't trust him, you know, because he's married like fucking four times. Yeah. Hey, whatever. you're supposed to be my lawyer, man. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> After the trial was over, and it was the jury's time to decide, the judge made sure to inform them. Under the statutes of this state, a person cannot be convicted of a crime upon testimony if an accomplice, unless such accomplice, is corroborated by other evidence. Do you think that's still a law? No idea. 
I, I don't think it is. But... No idea. Maybe in Idaho. <laughs> Let's ask uh, Shy. Oh, uh, Shy. Right? When the jury finally rested, they found Big Bill not guilty. In the case of George A. Pettibone, they found him not guilty. And Charles Moyer's case was completely dismissed. Whoa. So this is probably why Big Bill's blowing up the fucking paper or whatever film. Yeah. He's free man. <laughs> Harry Orchard was sentenced to be hanged, but the sentence would later be commuted to a life imprisonment. Oh. Harry Orchard would spend the rest of his life in the penitentiary. He was known to enjoy tending to his chickens and turkeys. Awesome. <laughs> reading Adventist literature and writing his memoirs of his 35 years in the penitentiary. God. After his sentencing in March 1908, he would serve more than 46 years at the old Idaho State Penitentiary, its longest term ever. He was a record breaker. Damn. As a trustee, he had lived outside of the prison walls in a small house for most of his later years tending to the prison's poultry flocks, but was brought back in after he had suffered a mild stroke a year earlier. Oh. Orchard was bedridden for his last three months and in a coma for his last days. Orchard died in the old Idaho State Penitentiary on April 13, 1954, at the age of 88, over 48 years after his arrest. Damn. Yeah. Not going to lie, 88 seems like a good run for well, being born in 1866. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Hey, you did good. You doubled the life expectancy. Apparently, yes. blowing shit up is good for you. Yeah. And that's what I'm taking out of this. Considering his job, he should have died much, much sooner. <laughs> he, he played with dynamite a lot. Yes, he did. I mean, I guess the secret to eternal life is chickens, turkeys, and uh, God. So sure, and just the, do that. And the Seventh Day Advent. Yep, yeah, that's all you got to do, and you live Certainly. forever. That's great. <laughs> so, what do you guys think? He was he a serial killer? I think he was just a guy doing a job. He was a hitman. Yeah, yeah, definitely an assassin. But but I think he thought he was real clever with the way he <laughs> set sure up his he bombs. Was. Yeah, you should look up a picture of him. He looks like an old timey hipster. Does he? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. he does. <laughs> Phil, what did you think? I don't know. I mean, uh, parallels to the day. Everyone with money got out of that case except for him. True. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I also Truth. noticed that uh, his pay never went up. He kept getting two hundred dollars <laughs> for. Every single person, even the governor. I should have looked up like what the equivalent to today's money is for two hundred dollars, but it's probably like a two grand or My something. God, you saw how good I did last time. You're that's gonna be three hundred now, homie. Did you see where I like rigged the gun up like I was in a fucking jigsaw movie or something? Fucking crazy. <laughs> it's it's eighteen hundreds and I'm doing crazy shit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, I love this story. This guy's like a fucking cartoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. whole thing is just like <laughs> this big fucking cartoon thing. It's wonderful. Like, the fact that he blew himself up, <laughs> like, minorly is amazing. Mm. I was kind of wondering, did he go downstairs and there's just like half, he only has like the shoulders on his coat stuff. He's like, I'm here for the beef stew. <laughs> this jacket used to have elbow patches. <laughs> Everyone's just looking upstairs like, man, the whore's up there doing some fun <laughs> <laughs> we just got a loaded from San Francisco. Oh boy. <laughs> they did Harry good up there. Oh, God. <laughs> Harry, would you say that pussy was bomb? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah, that's the tale of Harry Orchard. Cody, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. That's really Thank a you. good story. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to. Tell us how to make other explosives. You can do so at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. 
As always, you can follow us on Twitter at BumblebuttPod and on Facebook and Instagram at BumblebuttPodcast. Now, we also have personal ones. Jordan at J.J.Fox. You can see him post pictures of uh, his <laughs> girlfriend his girl. holding hands and stuff. It's real cute. It's fucking adorable. <laughs> uh, it's, re- it's real nice. We're all... We're all suffering FOMO. We're all thrilled. Exactly. That's what it is. I want to be holding Jordan's hand. Uh, Mine is at Bumble Adam. Oh, shet. Cody's at Bumble Butt Podcast, but that's just our thing. Yeah. Now, I want you to talk about subliminal deception. You two. Mm. Say stuff about it since you are on it. You want to fire away, Phil? Want me to do it? Yeah. uh, We just recorded, uh, what, episode 10? Yeah. Uh, Pretty good one. Yeah, we do a uh, weekly conspiracy theory show. Mm-hmm. Um, we're usually a little bit more cynical on the conspiracy series side that I think people kind of enjoy and some people hate, obviously. But uh, we like to cover topics. We like to get weird. I'd say the episode re- we recorded yesterday is extremely weird. So you um, have a divisive show. Yes. Good. Yes, ten episodes yeah. in. Well, almost ten episodes in. It's wonderful. Yeah. So. It is a good time. It is a fun listen. Yeah, give it a listen. It's uh, it's definitely different than Bumblebub, but... Uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah, we That's need variety great. around here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Anything else you want to say about it? What is it, at Subliminal Deception? Yeah, at this, at this Subliminal Deception podcast on Instagram. Just give Phil a follow. You can search through our followers and find it on there. Perfect, dude. He's always... I'm always pimping him on our thing or posting about it, so it's easy to find. Yeah, it. find really it, easy to find down. it, download it, right. do it all. Right, I'm always responding to people who message us. So Perfect. we just had uh, we just had a couple of days last week. So yeah, yeah, Perfect. Even finally, the, even the traction. porn bots fell to respond to you. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, <laughs> yep. I like the like zero followers, <laughs> zero everything. It's like, like the it hottest just, chick yeah. of all time. Yeah, it just yeah. says hi. Yeah. <laughs> Three okay. followers following fifteen thousand. Uh, yeah, I yeah. always. Oh, she must be real. Yeah. <laughs> She's the woman of my dreams. Uh, all right. Uh, goddamn, boys. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody. That's the iTunes reviews, my friend. Um, I believe we've gotten two. One just five star, one written. And I actually know who the written's from. Who's it from? It is from our fan, Bianca. Our friend, Bianca. Yes. Um, the... She says, the only podcast that uploads weekly. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. Oh, yep. my God. She figured it out. <laughs> Seriously love these guys. I've had some serious belly laughs from the off-the-wall stuff they say. Their accents are astounding and their self-deprecating humor is on point. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the amount of research they put into their subjects is super impressive, and, and it's awesome to hear an actual story as opposed to just hearing something that sounds like a Wikipedia article every Wednesday and Sunday. I definitely look forward to the show for some genuine laughs. Keep it up, my dudes, and thank you for the time you put into the show. Well, thank you, Bianca. Hey, yeah. Bianca, you're awesome. Thank she's, you. she's very funny. She's also going to start her own podcast. She is. I think she they're is. working on it right now, she which is, is pretty, pretty I rad. think she's been talking to me and you about some yep. tips, mm-hmm. but... Uh, you know what? You just gotta spread your wings. Anybody who's curious it, in podcasts, just, just just try it. Do don't, it. Yeah. Don't worry about what other people think. Just fucking yeah. do it. You're gonna sound stupid. We all sound stupid. That's <laughs> yeah. just yeah, the, we that's still life, do. baby. <laughs> that's life. It just is. be stupid with us. All right. Uh, goddamn. Is that gonna do it? It's gonna do it. All right. I'm gonna say goodbye to this new round table we have going on here. I'm gonna start with uh, Jordan. Goodbye, Jordan. Goodbye, Adam. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> Now I'm going to say thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Goodbye, Cody. Goodbye, Adam. Now thank you, special guest and subliminal deception host, Phil. 
Thank you, Adam. <laughs> and goodbye, Phil. Goodbye, Adam. And now, everybody else, I want you to have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. I'm going to go kiss my girlfriend. Ugh. <laughs>